Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, man. How's everybody doing? Hello, how's everybody doing? There we go, there we go. Good to see everybody this morning. I'm just, I'm just peacock proud to be here. Um, huh? That didn't land so good? Uh, man, it landed a lot better if we were still playing. You know that? <laughs> well, I mean, you had another deep run in the tournament. <laughs> we're feeling pretty right? good. We did win a game. So I feel good about that's, that. That's that's better than most times, that's right? My- yeah. But you did win the SEC tournament. I, I would like you to refer to us as champs, if yeah. that's okay. We did win the SEC tournament. First time in your life, right? <clears throat> yes, that's true. That's true. How many banners did you hung this year? Uh, we're getting that made. Yes, we're getting, you got. It's getting made. You got yeah. two banners for beating UK, <laughs> which you hang every year. NCAA. Well, that banner's running out of space, though. We've we've Is almost it? filled that one up. Oh, really? Yeah, it's, there's been a lot so of Bar- those. So Barnes owns Cal, right? He absolutely does. At what, yeah. 58%? Little, uh, little Johnny. Yes, yeah. little Johnny. That's Rick's little brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jay and I really have been hugging each other virtually for the last week or so because, um, well, you know why. Uh, <laughs> So there was just, actually, you know, we took last week's lesson to heart. You know, they said, but words, you know, it can either be life-giving. That's or, right. So we've really uh, practiced that over the last week. And a gentle word turns away wrath. That's and you right. were very gentle with me. I want to appreciate was, that. Yeah. Now, we did lose after you lost. I think that was part of you. I, I felt like I was pretty gentle. Would you agree with that? You were actually. Thank you. I yeah. appreciate that. Now, I don't know if you were with of, Kyle. It was, well, there were some people in my life I wasn't that gentle with, but I, was, I tried to be, respect my elders. But, you so. know, God, he looks at every situation, and he knows. He knows. Do, yeah. <laughs> so um, we were in the tournament, though. There are some fan bases that didn't even get to participate. That's true. Um, so we do have that. I'm just, you know, it could be yours. could not be but yours. But they're on the but. pain train now. They are on the pain train, which will be interesting, which will be interesting. Uh, where's Luke Hancock? I think Luke's – there he is, Luke. Luke. Uh, we always had to bring up Luke this time of year. Some of you guys um, know that Tennessee lost to Michigan. And my boys, you know, like I have to educate them on – I have a, I have four boys, but the two older ones, 12 and 9, are, you know, really aware, paying attention. And so – when Kentucky lost, I had to educate them, or I didn't have to educate them as much that that was a big deal. My six-year-old's never seen Kentucky win a tournament game, though, so I had to tell him, you know, this is a big deal yeah. that Kentucky lost. Um, so I had to tell him. And then, you know, my nine-year-old was really upset that we lost to Michigan. And he's like, Michigan? I mean, what is Michigan? And I was like, well, Michigan's actually really good. They've been to, like, seven straight Sweet 16s. As a matter of fact, they played in the national championship game, you know, way back in the way back in the day 2013 i said actually you know one of our man challenge guys won the uh most outstanding player yeah Yeah. won the won the won the mop of the of the final four and that that so they thought that was really cool so the other day driving to to cal i uh uh threw on just you know it's so beautiful luke hancock 
highlights, whatever, and watched Luke hit four straight threes against Michigan. So I just feel like that needs another round of applause. Yeah. Luke. <laughs> and now, now Luke spends his days trying to figure out how to get an eight-month-old out of sleep, right? And so much easier to do a catch-and-shoot three in some Michigan guy's nostrils, right, than to get an eight-month-old to sleep. But uh, you didn't know that at the time, did you? You thought, you thought that was hard. Uh, but anyway, it was pretty, pretty cool. Pretty cool to uh, this time of year to, to think about that moment. And uh, we could have used it the other day, Luke. We needed a couple catch and shoot threes. Yeah, how's everybody's brackets going? Who's that? Who's the So captain? we have somebody. Uh, please stand up if you're the guy that picked 13 out of 16 in the, in the Sweet 16. Please stand up if you're what the was guy. His, what was his? Uh... Uh, he didn't put his name, which makes him even cooler. BA2210. <laughs> uh, he didn't just go uh, off the off the deal either because you know he missed Kentucky Tennessee and Auburn so he's obviously an SEC fan but uh, 13 out of 16 pretty is pretty solid. impressive how many did you have I think I've got 10 left you got 10 right okay I got nine right I do have three final four teams though how many you got three okay yeah all right well We'll see we what happens. Yeah. I was looking for your name in there. I didn't, as I was scrolling down past mine, I didn't see I forgot see to put my name on either. Technology's a problem. Yeah. But anyway, uh, it's beautiful to be with you men this morning. Here, uh, here at Man Challenge, our, one of our biggest priorities is intentional male relationships. Um, I will say that uh, this dude and I, as much as we like to give each other grief and as much as our colors don't match, uh, it's been a blessing to be a part of this ministry and get to know this guy, be sharpened by this guy, be prayed for by this guy, be cared for by this guy. Um, it's, a, it's a big deal. And so just know that uh, the blessing of getting up every morning and uh, committing to, to sitting around the table with your men, uh, man, this is, this is stuff that lasts, fruit that lasts, and uh, relationships that last, relationships that carry you through uh, the, the seasons of life where you don't want to do it alone. So um, I would just say that, you know, is we're dudes. We like to joke on each other's teams. Uh, but, man, there's, there's, there's depth to what we do here uh, that is so much bigger than the Sweet 16. And so um, it's, it's cool to be able to do this with you, pal. Yeah, and no, I appreciate it. It's been, uh, what, 10, 10 plus years, I yeah. think. Um, and uh, every morning when I walk in here and I see all these men, of course, it's grown over the years and hopefully it'll continue to grow. But it just fills my heart, honestly, when I see all of you uh, coming in and at a crazy hour and, and uh, intentionally walking in, trying to trying to get one step closer to him and knowing who he is. And, and but also, you know, f for a long time, as I got busy in life growing up with my kids uh, and their activities and work, you know, I kind of had to pull away from my free time with my friends, and and I just kind of unknowingly put the pressure on my wife to give me what only a godly man can give me, and we never could identify what that anxiety was that was happening between us. Um, but then when I started this journey with Man Challenge, it just opened my eyes up to the importance of surrounding yourself with godly men and running a race together and locking arms and living out Proverbs 27:17 and how important it is. And without Chris, without a lot of men in this room, you know, I, it would be very tough to make it through mm. just, just daily life. Um, sometimes it's a big thing, sometimes the little things. Um, and when I get a phone call or a recorded prayer or something from somebody, 
you know, it's always at the right time, and it just means so much. And and what we're doing here is 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 really a big deal. Yeah, yeah. So, a uh, couple things before we bring out a speaker. Really, just one. Uh, Easter Sunday, we need dudes to step up to serve. Um, the specifically, we we could use volunteers all weekend, but specifically the 9 and 11, 15 service. If you could serve, that would be a big deal. I know you guys got the email from Ronnie and Chris, but uh, we need hands, we need feet, we need dudes. So if you could step up, that would that would be a blessing to the church. Uh, and with that, we're gonna bring up Mr. Roth. Grant, come on out here. Let's give it up for Grant Roth. So Grant, you've... Uh, You've left us here recently. Um, tell us what you've been up to. Well, I'll start by saying it wasn't you. It was, it was me. <laughs> okay. Um, but uh, I've been working with uh, the preaching team, kind of working in the preaching department, doing some like behind the scenes kind of uh, content work and just kind of. How does that go? Like, like that. does Kyle say, I've got an idea. I want you guys to write this and let me know how it goes. Or how does the preaching team work? It's, it's probably a little bit different every day. So he, some, he likes to talk through things verbally. So sometimes I'm just a sounding board for stuff like that. Sometimes I'm writing a script for something that he's going to kind of take and tweak and make his own and stuff. So, um, yeah, it's cool. a little fun. Cool. All right, well, uh, we'll be sure to text you when we like his sermons. Uh, yeah, thank you. Uh, your final four was? Uh, let's see here. I've got Arizona and Arkansas in the championship, which I feel good about. You shouldn't. I should. Go ahead. No. Arizona maybe. Arkansas has no okay. chance, but keep going. Uh, and then I think, I, I think Kentucky was in there for me. Oof. And then I don't remember who. Of course, Tennessee. I did not have Wait, Tennessee. you picked Arkansas and Kentucky and not Tennessee. You know we're the champs. Did you know that? I didn't. I didn't know. Jay anything. knows that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you must have been asleep that week. But that, we yeah. we cut down the nets. It was really cool. They played one shiny moment. At least I did. Even though it was the wrong week, but I just played it for us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's pray. Jay, pray for this dude. Heavenly Father, just want to thank you for the opportunity for us to come together today, uh, Lord. I know that you've prepared Grant well, uh, Lord. I pray that we've got ears to hear, Lord, and eyes to see. Uh, what you want us to today, and uh, as we walk out of here, that they're just not words, uh, Lord, that we uh, want to live out exactly what you uh, have put for us today, and Lord, just uh, be with Grant, and uh, just deliver a message that uh, will convict us, and, and what you want convicted. Lord, just ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Good morning, guys. Um, I think if I were to reflect on my life and kind of think about all of the experiences I've had and kind of all of my memories, if I were to try and capture uh, the entirety of my life with one word, I might choose, and that's a hard thing to do, but I might choose uh, the word good. Like as I reflect on my life, I feel like God's just been uh, really good to me uh, and I'm grateful for that. So I think it's a pretty general word, but the word good would probably be the one that I would choose to capture the entirety of my life. Um, and maybe if you are a more adventurous person, you might choose a word like fun. Uh, you think about all the, 
the traveling that you've done, your vacations, the parasailing, the, the cave diving, all of the things you've done, and you think, you know, life has just been really fun for me. And so that's the word you choose. Um, on a different note, if you've experienced a lot of suffering, you might uh, reflect on your life and all of your experiences, and the word you would choose to kind of encapsulate your whole life is a word like uh, difficult or sad. Um, ironically, you might also use that word, difficult or sad, uh, if you're a fan of UK basketball. Like if you were trying to capture the entirety of your life, uh, you might use a word like that. But I think it's interesting uh, that as we look at the life of Solomon, we know the word that he chose to try and capture the entirety of his life. Toward the end of his life, as he reflects on everything he's done, he tells us one word to describe his entire life. And the word that, that Solomon chooses is missed. And so for the last few weeks, we've been walking through the, the life and the wisdom of Solomon. We, we've been in this series called A King of Extremes, kind of looking at the, the highs and the lows of Solomon's life uh, to learn from what he, he did and, and learn from what he said. And we've heard some of the wise teachings in the book of Proverbs, but now we're going to look at uh, another book in the Old Testament that Solomon contributed a lot to. It's a book called Ecclesiastes. And our goal this morning is really just to open up the word and get a good feel for what this book is about. Like, this isn't going to be a super uh, complex morning for us. I really just want to open up this book and kind of walk through it a little bit and give us a good feel for the basic message of uh, Ecclesiastes. So before we do that, I think there are kind of two primary things that we need to know, two helpful uh, maybe keys for interpretation as we spend some time in this book of Ecclesiastes. The first thing that we need to keep in mind as we're studying Ecclesiastes is that Ecclesiastes is what we call wisdom literature. And books in the Bible that fall into that genre, that fall into that category of wisdom literature, they read a little bit differently than uh, the rest of the Bible would. Um, most of the Bible is written in like narrative form or epistle, like a letter from Paul. And most of the Bible is communicating big theological truths, timeless truths. There's always these uh, underlying principles that are true all the time for all people, no matter what. So you, it'd be a truth like Jesus Christ uh, died on a cross and was raised back to life three days later. You might read something like that in Colossians or Romans or 1 Timothy. It's this big, timeless truth, but that's not the goal of wisdom literature. For wisdom literature, the 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 intention is not to communicate a big theological truth. It's really to give you just some helpful general truths that are generally true to help you live a godly life. So that's really what wisdom literature is about. It's meant to give us this wisdom to live our everyday, everyday lives in a way that, that honors God. So that's the first thing we, we've got to keep in mind. It's wisdom literature. The second thing we have to keep in mind is that Ecclesiastes is not by Solomon. It's about Solomon. And that's, that's important for us to recognize because it, it's similar to like a biography or like an ESPN 30 for 30 where it's about a person's life uh, and it'll include a lot of what they say, but it's not necessarily by them. Uh, so 
a, a narrator or like an author in a biography will come along and add their own commentary to the life of a person. And so that's kind of what we see in Ecclesiastes where most of Ecclesiastes, it's 12 chapters long, most of the 12 chapters are a big long recorded teaching of Solomon. But what happens is that the author of Ecclesiastes, who we don't really know, we think it might be like a student of Solomon, someone who really respected his teaching. A student or someone comes along, records this long teaching of Solomon and says, let me kind of add my own commentary to that. And what's interesting about that is that the narrator doesn't always seem to necessarily condone or agree with 100% of what Solomon says in this book. Because Solomon is kind of speaking from this uh, human perspective, this uh, perspective of human wisdom. And so the narrator comes along and says, this is all good. What Solomon says is true, but it's not the whole truth. Solomon is, is missing something here. And so the narrator comes back in and will add his own comments at the beginning and the end of this uh, book. But in this teaching in Ecclesiastes, Solomon is reflecting on his life and his experiences and the word that he uses to capture it all is missed. And that's kind of how he starts his teaching. And the Hebrew word for this is hevel. And we might translate it as empty or meaningless, but it's literally the idea of a vapor or a mist. It's something that you reach out to for kind of like hoping to find substance, but when you do, there's nothing there. Like you can't capture it because it's just mist. It's this kind of meaningless, temporary, empty thing. It's just mist. And that's how Solomon starts his teaching in Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes chapter 1. So we're going to have some verses on the screen as we walk through this today. Feel free to jump into your Bible with me, but we're going to be flipping all through uh, the book. So Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, that's where we're starting today. And we're going to see Solomon kind of lay out uh, the main points uh, in this book. This is the very first thing that Solomon says in the book. There's an introductory verse that I'll read that for you. This is the narrator. He says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem, which we assume to be Solomon. And then Solomon starts his teaching by saying, Meaningless, meaningless, utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And so you could also say, Mist, mist. It's all, it's all just mist. Everything is is mist. And so as Solomon's reflecting on his life, he lays out this the main point of his teaching right at the beginning. That's kind of the introduction to his sermon. If Kyle got up and, and preached a sermon like that, we'd be like, hey, are you, you doing okay, Kyle? Like, everything all right? Meaningless, meaningless, everything is, is meaningless. But that's what Solomon does to start. He says that everything is hevel. And if we keep reading, uh, we, we see the rest of this sort of introduction to the teaching. And I think we get a feel, if you listen for it, you can kind of hear the... Uh, sad, somber, depressing tone of the introduction uh, for Solomon in chapter 1, verses 3 to 11. We see why he calls this life a mist. This is what he says. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, and then it just hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south, but then it blows to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. 
All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. Is there nothing new under the sun? And that's an important phrase for us to remember right there. Solomon's going to talk a lot about there being nothing new under the sun. He's going to come back to that over and over again. He says, is there anything of which one can say, look, hey, this is something new? No, it was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. And so we, you kind of see just in those first few verses as Solomon is talking about life and all of the patterns in the world, you see that Solomon is, uh, from his perspective, seeing the world and seeing life as this sort of endless cycle of dissatisfaction. Could you guys hear kind of the, the sad, depressing tone as we read through those verses? It's, it's kind of a, a somber beginning to the book, but that's really how the whole book is. It's kind of depressing. It's it, sort of like what, I don't know, when I remember that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday or something, it's like, oh, I really wanted it. And then I look sad and my wife's like, hey, Grant, you look a little sad. You, are you doing okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. It's just that everything's meaningless and I wish I had never been born and it's terrible. And it's like, man, Solomon, are you okay? And I think if Solomon's friends heard him teaching this, they'd be like, hey, you, are you doing okay, Solomon? Let's Let's get you some Cymbalta. Like, Cymbalta can help, Solomon. Let's, let's get you outside and get some sunshine. Because as Solomon reflects on his life, he realizes that everything he's done is meaningless. Like, he reached out for so many different things in life, but none of it satisfied. It was all just, it was all just missed. And so as he reflects on his life, he, he realizes that no matter how hard he tried, no matter what he reached out for, looking for substance and satisfaction, it was always just empty. Lasting meaning and satisfaction, they always seem to elude his grasp. And that's the basic premise and the basic problem introduced in this book, that everything is meaningless. It's all just missed. And so now Solomon's going to spend the rest of the book kind of exploring that problem. And he shows us a list of things, essentially, of what he's pursued and discovered to be meaningless, which I think is really, really helpful for us because the very same things that Solomon spent his life chasing after are the same things that we're tempted to chase after today, or at least I'm tempted to chase after in this life today. And what I love about that is that if we just take the time, and if we have the humility to listen to what Solomon said, we can save ourselves so much time and so much heartache. We don't have to uh, waste our time chasing after things that are meaningless. We don't have to waste our time searching for meaning in the mist. And so I want to just walk through some of these things that Solomon says are meaningless. Uh, and this is where we're going to skip through some of the book here and just latch on to some different phrases and different verses. So the next verse that we see, Solomon shows us that wisdom and knowledge are meaningless, which is surprising because he wrote so much of the book of, of Proverbs. But in chapter 1, verse 17, Solomon says, Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and also to madness and folly. But I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. 
So Solomon here, he's not saying that wisdom is bad or, or even unimportant. Like that's what the book of Proverbs is about. We talk about how wisdom is the uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And wisdom is like essential to live a godly life. Solomon is all about wisdom. He's not saying it's bad, but he is saying that it's meaningless. That no matter how much he pursues wisdom and knowledge, it just never really satisfied him. Like there was never any meaning to be found in it. Wisdom and knowledge are good, but they're not worth chasing for our whole lives. And, and Solomon uses that phrase, chasing after the wind, to kind of highlight uh, how pointless our pursuits in this life can be. He'll bring that phrase back in multiple times throughout this book as well, chasing after the wind. But we've experienced this to be true, or maybe some of us have, that chasing after knowledge, it's good, it's fine, but it doesn't satisfy you get your bachelor's degree, and then you uh, realize that the job you really want is um, requiring a master's degree. And so you throw some money at a university, and then you put a lot of hours into it. And eventually, years later, you graduate from that program, and you've got your master's degree, and now you're more knowledgeable. And you kind of feel like an expert in your field, but then no one really respects you as an expert in your field. Like, they don't seem to recognize that you know as much as you know in this certain area of work. So then you feel like, maybe I need to get a doctorate. And so you pursue another degree, throw more money at it, put more, more, more and more hours into it. And then after all of the, the work, uh, not after all of the time and money that you spent on pursuing wisdom and knowledge, you don't have much to show for it beyond two little letters next to your name. People might call you a doctor. At, at your funeral, people might say, yeah, he was really educated, but that's about it. And Solomon reflects on that, and he says, man, it was meaningless. Like, none of that really satisfied. Ultimately, wisdom and knowledge are just a mist. But he goes on, and he's going to tell us that pleasure is meaningless. And I think this one hits home more for me. Pleasure is meaningless. In chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, Solomon says, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And I think that's pretty interesting that he can say that. Like most of us aren't even in a position to say something like that. But Solomon was insanely rich. He had all the resources he could ever need to pursue any kind of pleasure that he wanted. And he did. Like that's what he's admitting to. He's like, I literally did whatever I wanted. I can't even imagine what that's like. But Solomon has done it. And he gets to the other side and he says it, it wasn't really worth it. It didn't uh, satisfy he said, my heart took delight in all my labor, and that was really the reward for all my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. And right before... Uh, kind of coming to that conclusion, Solomon uh, goes through this big, long uh, list of things that he did, the ways that he pursued pleasure in his lifetime. And he pursued pleasure in a lot of different ways, but I think there are kind of four major ways that we can uh, lift out of the text that Solomon pursued pleasure in these kind of unique categories. I think the ways that he pursued pleasure were laughter, liquor, luxury, and labor. And those are four categories of pleasure that I think we pursue. And not all of them are bad. None of those things are bad inherently, but they are meaningless. And so that first pleasure, I just want to kind of look at each one of these because I think they're so tempting for us, but they're not satisfactory. That, 
that first pleasure, laughter or entertainment. I think that's the, the one that uh, I'm the most prone to. Like I have spent so much of my time and so much of my money on streaming services and social media and sporting events. And ultimately, I can say none of that stuff has ever really satisfied me. Like I've gone, I'm a huge Chicago Bears fan and I've gone to multiple Bears games, but I've never left feeling like, oh, that's, that's what I was made to do. I was created to, to be at these games. And maybe it would be different if the Bears ever won any football games. <laughs> but pleasure, especially in the form of entertainment, it's never satisfied. And Solomon says, yeah, it never satisfied me either. It was just missed. But then he goes on, he, he says uh, that liquor didn't really do the trick either. He literally says, I tried cheering myself with much wine. And I like that he, I just like the way that he says that because it's not, not how we talk. Like, it's not like you're like, hey, you want to, this Friday, like, go cheer ourselves with much wine? And Solomon says, yeah, that's what I did. Like, I tried my best to find satisfaction in it, but it wasn't there. And I think some of us in this room know what that's like, even though we might not say it the same way. You live your life for Friday night, and, and boy, Friday, Friday night's great, but Saturday morning sucks. And you've started to recognize the, the flaw in kind of this endless cycle of dissatisfaction in your life. You, you've started to realize that the only time you feel really happy is when you're drunk enough to not feel like yourself. And you've never really been satisfied by it. You never seem to find meaning at the bottom of your shot glass. And, and the beer bottle that you're drinking isn't really full of beer. It's just full of mist. And Solomon says, yeah, I've been there. Laughter didn't satisfy. Liquor didn't satisfy. What about luxury? So Solomon, one of the richest men ever to live. And he saved up all kinds of gold and silver. He built amazing homes, but he couldn't find meaning there no matter how hard he looked. And maybe you've experienced that too. Like you, you build a new house and, and it's nice. Like you, you feel great about it and your wife is excited to have family and friends over and host and kind of show off the new house. And you feel good about your house because it's nicer than the home you grew up in. You feel like your dad might be proud of you because of it. And you kind of have seen some of the houses that your high school classmates moved into. And you think, you know, I did a lot better than most of my classmates. And so you feel good about that. And there's nothing wrong with having a nice house but you feel kind of for a moment fulfilled by this, this sort of luxury in your house, but it, it's fleeting. That feeling of fulfillment is fleeting. It goes away so fast. As soon as your neighbor buys a new car, well, then, then you're not satisfied with the house anymore. And you had never really had any problems with your Honda Accord before that. You know, you liked it. It was a reliable car. It never gave you any problems. But then when it's parked next door to a Tesla, then you're like, well... Maybe it's time to start looking for something new or better or different. And so this life of luxury, if you've walked down that path at all, you know that it doesn't satisfy. There's no meaning to be found there because there's always something else to be had. It's just like a mist. So liquor and laughter and luxury, they don't satisfy. What about labor or work? Solomon enjoyed the work he did throughout his life, but he gets to the end of his life and he realizes that none of it amounted to much. It's, uh, I was reading an article that said that the, it estimates that the average person is uh, 
going to spend about one third of their life working, which is insane. And so over the course of a lifetime, that's about 90,000 hours. And then to, to like step back and realize that after 90,000 hours of work, if your coworkers really liked you, then maybe you get cake and ice cream at a retirement party. Like, after 90,000 hours of work, after you spend a third of your life doing something, what do you have to show for it? And Solomon says the same thing. And he accomplished more than I'll ever accomplish in my lifetime. And he looks at all his accomplishments and all of the things that he did through work, and he's like, yeah, it didn't really satisfy. It was just meaningless. And so that's, that's that second major thing he says. Pleasure is meaningless. But now he's going to show us that achievement is meaningless as well. Chapter 4, verse 4. Solomon says, And I saw that all the toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. And this too is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. And I think this kind of goes beyond the idea of just work. Like it's the idea of working to achieve something, to create a list of achievements, to kind of like bolster your resume. So it's the, it's the high school kid who is involved in a bunch of extracurricular activities, not because he wants to be, but because he feels like, like he wants to get the scholarship. So he, he just wants to be involved in as much as possible and have a list of achievements. It's the guy who works really hard, not because it's the right thing to do, but because he wants to be the employee of the month and have better numbers than everyone else. It's, it's me when I'm writing a, a sermon or a message and I'm more concerned with the, the laughter that I can get from the crowd or the hmms that you can hear when you say a good line. I think we chase after achievement in a lot of different ways. Oh, but this week as I was just thinking about this, I was like, man, Solomon is, is right. Because I'm tempted to chase after achievement in, in a variety of different ways in lots of different areas of life. But ultimately, what does, it, what does it matter? Like, think about it this way. 300 years from now, when we're all gone, who, who's going to care whether or not the high school kid did student council when he was a, a senior in high school? Who's going to care how many times that you were employee of the month? Who's going to care about anything I ever said from a stage? In the end, it doesn't really matter. It's just meaningless. And so Solomon says, yeah, achievement, I, I've done it all. It doesn't satisfy. It's just a mist. And then he's going to say power is meaningless. Chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. He says, I saw all that I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun, they followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. And this too is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. And so Solomon has seen kingdoms and kings rise and fall. And he's recognized that even the most powerful people in the world are only powerful for a moment. Like their, their reign is always temporary because there's always someone younger to come replace them. But even that younger person is eventually replaced. Like the people in power are just in power for a moment. And so right now you might be the leader of a team at work, but eventually you'll be replaced. And you might be the strong man of your family, but eventually your children will need you less than they did before. And so the power that we try to cling to, we can try to cling to it as, as tightly as we want to, but no matter what, what we do or how hard we grasp for it, it always slips through our fingers. 
Why? Because it's a mist. And that's what Solomon says. Power is just a mist. But then ironically, he says that youth is a mist. So the young people who are like, okay, well, power always comes to the young people. Solomon's like, yeah, youth is meaningless. It doesn't last either. So chapter 11, verse 10, he says, so then banish anxiety from your heart and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. And so he's basically saying, yeah, power doesn't last because there's always someone to take your place. But then he reminds us that youth doesn't last either, unless you're Ronnie Cordray. That's what it says in chapter 11, I think. But all of us have, like all of us have been young at some point, no matter how old we are, we've all experienced what it's like to be a young person with the, the rest of our lives ahead of us. And there's something uh, exciting about it, right? Because you know that I may not be the person in power right now, but I have potential to be the person in power. And, and I may not be big and powerful now, but I'm kind of this up and comer. And so there's always this sort of uh, optimism. There's always this potential, but no matter how much potential you have, no, ma no matter how much potential we have, there's no purpose to be found in it. It's all just a mist. And so Solomon says, youth is meaningless. And that's the last specific thing that he says is meaningless. But he does add one more thing to the list of meaningless things. In chapter 12, verse 8, the very last thing that Solomon says in this book is meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. And I think that's kind of interesting. So the first thing that Solomon says is that in his teaching is that everything is meaningless. Everything is just a mist. And then he gives this whole list of specific things that are meaningless. And then he concludes by saying, hey, in case I didn't like touch on the thing that you were thinking of, let me say it again. Everything is meaningless. Like whatever it is that you're thinking, well, this might be meaningful. He's like, no, I've chased after it before. It was just chasing after the wind. It was grasping for, for mist. Everything is meaningless. And he gets to the end of his life, and that's kind of his big takeaway, that meaning and satisfaction couldn't be found in anything that the world had to offer. And I think if Solomon were here today, if he were teaching Man Challenge today, he would maybe say, hey guys, I, I spent my whole life pursuing something made of mist, and then eventually I realized that there's something I may have missed. And I think that's why Ecclesiastes, or at least part of the reason that Ecclesiastes is in our Bibles. So that we don't have to make the same mistake that Solomon does. So that when we get to the end of our lives, we don't have to think like, oh, did we, did we miss something? Did we spend our lives chasing after things that didn't matter? Because we don't want to spend our lives pursuing something made of mist and then eventually realize that there's something we may have missed. And so I think the question that Ecclesiastes forces us to, to ask ourselves is if everything in the world is just missed, where can we find meaning? Like, where can we find meaning in a meaningless life? And I think Solomon gives us one good answer to that question, and I think the narrator, the author of Ecclesiastes, gives us another good answer, and they sort of go hand in hand. And so the answer that Solomon gives us, where can I find meaning in a meaningless life? Solomon says, enjoy life with the Lord. Like, if this life is, is what we've got, enjoy the good things that God has given. Enjoy life with the Lord. Chapter 3, verses 12 to 13. Solomon says this. 
I know that there is nothing better for people to do than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil because this is the gift of God. And this sort of becomes like a refrain for Solomon throughout the book of Ecclesiastes. Like he, he comes back to that sort of idea four other times in this book where he, he says, this is meaningless, life is terrible, there's nothing that satisfies, it's all just missed. But then he says, but if we're here, then what we should do is just enjoy life with God, like eat and drink and enjoy the good things that God has given. And that's kind of fun because that's not what we hear in church a lot of times. It's a lot of times we leave church feeling like, okay, I'm supposed to make my life less enjoyable and less fun. But Solomon being a wise man and saying something true here is like, oh no, like one of the best things you can do is recognize that God has given good things and enjoy those things with God. Enjoy life with the Lord. And that's really what he's saying. Enjoy the good things that God has, has given. And so I think, again, if Solomon were here teaching today, he would say like, hey, for you guys today, what does that, what does that look like? Enjoy family. Enjoy food, enjoy football, enjoy friendship and flannel shirts, and freedom and funnel cakes and fishing and films and flavor. Enjoy it all. Like find the good things in life that God has given and enjoy them with, with God. And that's something for us to ponder. Like what does it look like to enjoy life with God? But first it starts with recognizing what God has given and then legitimately enjoying that and praising God for those those things. And so Solomon says, enjoy life with God. But then I think the narrator or the author comes back in and gives us another uh, truth that kind of frames up the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's really helpful for us. He says, honor the Lord with life. At the very end of this, this book, the narrator comments on everything that Solomon has taught in verses uh, 13 and 14 of chapter 12. These are the last two verses in the book. This is what the author says. He says, now all of this has been heard and here's the conclusion of the matter. So he's kind of saying, Solomon has taught us all of this stuff and it's all good, it's all wise, it's all true, but it's not the whole truth. So let me expound upon that and this is what he says. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every evil deed into judgment including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And so for the last few weeks, you guys have been talking about uh, Proverbs and wisdom and how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so that theme comes back into Ecclesiastes. Uh, and you've talked about kind of how God is meant to be revered and honored, not because he's mean uh, or arrogant or harsh and just wants a bunch of little robots following him around. That's not God's heart. But God should be feared because he's good, because he's holy because he's powerful and because he's full of love. And I know for me, this feels, this feels like it's not true a lot of times, but it is the most true thing in the world. And this is what, that submitting our lives to an all-powerful and all-loving God is literally the best possible thing for me. The best thing I could ever do is submit myself to a God who knows what's best for me and is powerful enough to bring about what's best for me. And so kind of this idea of fearing God can seem intimidating and, and feel like it's, uh, it, it can feel difficult to do. But man, it's the best thing that we could ever do. 
And that's what the, the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. He's like, hey, in the end, everything is missed, so honor God with your life. Like, honor the Lord with life. It's one of the best things you could ever do. So how do we find meaning in this meaningless life? The basic message of Ecclesiastes is enjoy life with the Lord and honor the Lord with life. Enjoy life with the Lord and honor the Lord with life. But what I love about reading a book like Ecclesiastes is that we read it with a different perspective now. On this side of the resurrection of Jesus, on this side of the cross, we get to look through a different lens at a book like Ecclesiastes, and it changes everything. I think the hope of Easter changes how we read the hopelessness of Ecclesiastes. That this, this book was written long before the resurrection of Jesus, but now we're reading it thousands of years after the resurrection of Jesus, and it changes everything. The, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they didn't really have a very developed theology around life after death or, or resurrection. And the general consensus among Jewish people was that when they died, they just went to Sheol or the realm of the dead. Like you read that sort of thing in the Psalms. Like you'll hear David saying like, don't abandon me to Sheol. It's just the idea of the realm of the dead. And so for Jewish people in the Old Testament, when they thought about life after death, it wasn't like they thought, oh, that godly person is, is going to heaven and that ungodly person is, is going to hell. That's more of our Christian lens, which is, is true. And like we see that develop in the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, they didn't have that sort of understanding. They saw that godly person, when they die, they're, they're dead. And that ungodly person, when they die, they're also dead. They go wherever dead people go, to the realm of the dead. And so if you read throughout the Old Testament, it doesn't really talk much about life after death because life after death for them was pretty uncertain. But that gets flipped around. When a, a Jewish teacher named Jesus is tortured to death on a cross and then raised back to life a few days later. Suddenly, what happened after death became a lot more certain because people realize that if God is in complete control over death, then life after death becomes a certainty for all of God's people. For all of the people that God loves and has called into his kingdom and into his family, life after death is, is cleared up. It's a lot more certain. And Solomon's right, like if this life is all there is and we just die and go to the same place no matter what we do, you're right, Solomon, like everything literally is just missed and this life is, is meaningless. But if this life is just the beginning of an eternal relationship with our creator, then, then everything becomes meaningful. I think part of the good news of Jesus is that my life and your life right now can be meaningful because my life right now is just the beginning of life forever with God. And on this side of Easter, we read Ecclesiastes and find that the most meaningful thing we can ever do is, yes, enjoy life with the Lord and honor the Lord with life now, but do it as we're waiting for life with him forever. And so the whole book of Ecclesiastes is exclaiming, there's nothing meaningful under the sun. And that should prompt us to maybe look beyond the sun. 
The whole book of Ecclesiastes is saying, hey, there's nothing in this world that satisfies our soul. There's nothing in this world that provides meaning. What should that make us do? Look for something beyond this world. And when we do, that's when we start to find meaning and purpose and value and satisfaction and hope in the Lord. Because we can find meaning in the Lord when we look beyond the mist. Let's pray. Uh, Father, I am uh, grateful for who you are. I'm grateful for um, just the guys in this room right now um, that a couple thousand years after the resurrection of Jesus, there are people who at the very least are interested in understanding that more and um, learning about the life that you lived and learning about what it looks like to uh, follow your teachings and your patterns, Jesus, because we believe and trust or maybe we suspect that you might have had it figured out. Um, and we praise you, God, that you see things that we don't see. We praise you that in our limited human perspective, uh, you are completely wise um, and completely powerful. You know all things, you see all things, and you bring meaning to all things. So Lord, I pray that as we discuss this at our groups, that you would bring to the surface what you want to bring to the surface but that you would also help us to walk out of this building today ready to enjoy the good things that you've given in this life because I think you delight in that. But would you help us to also take a moment to think about the things that we're chasing and help us to chase after you, Jesus, and nothing else because there is nothing else that will satisfy. Let us chase after you. And it's in your name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.